so yes we appreciate the aid we appreciate all the you know assistance that sri lanka gets but when it comes to real tangible commitments china seems to have an upper hand this is asia insight asia policy in a pod Welcome to the Asia Insight podcast series by the National Bureau of Asian Research. My name is Carlos Karnikis. I'm a senior vice president at NBR. And today we have the pleasure to be joined by Bhagya Senaratna. Uh, Bhagya is a lecturer in the Department of Strategic Studies at the General Sir John uh, Kotalawa Uh, Defense uh, University in Sri Lanka. Bhagya has a PhD from the University of Colombo for her research titled An Analysis of Sri Lanka-China Bilateral Relations uh, from 1994 to 2015. And uh, she uh, teaches and researches areas related to diplomacy, strategic communications, uh, Sri Lanka-China relations, foreign policy, maritime security, and non-traditional security challenges. Uh, Bhagya, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, we appreciate your, your making the time. And maybe we could start by having you just tell us a little bit more about your, your research. Thank you for having me, Carlos. It's absolutely um, delightful to be um, with you on this podcast. Um, it's amazing because I'm also joining in from Sri Lanka. So I'm absolutely thrilled to be part of this. As for my research, um, like you mentioned, I predominantly research on Sri Lanka's relations with China, but also focus a lot on Sri Lanka's foreign policy and diplomacy. So I do a lot of research on how Sri Lanka maintains its foreign policy in and around the countries. And I think a lot of our discussions today will be based on um, what I research on. I also Uh, do some research on the kind of power play we have in the Indian Ocean region, um, the kind of role the extra-regional powers play. So I think um, there'll be a lot of discussions on what we are doing and the research. So yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to be part of the NBR podcast, and I look forward to this. Well, um, speaking about about NBR and this podcast, the the, mm -hmm. the reason we asked you to join us today is at the uh, the end of um, the last year, we asked you to participate in our Emerging Voices series. You authored a piece for us, which was called "The COVID-19 Pandemic and the Power Rivalry in South Asia." It talked about. Sri Lanka and South Asia in general. But well, first, before we talk about the essay, what's the current public health situation in, in South Asia? Um, thank you. That's a great question, um, Carlos. I think a lot has changed since the pandemic. But for the larger part, I think South Asia is grappling with a lot of public health issues because Um, in South Asia, we have sanitation issues, we have a lot of malaria, TB, and these kind of issues that in general we face. And it's also probably largely because of um, the poverty people face, right? So poor sanitation, maternal health, and we the larger region in South Asia, we also have poor access to health services. 
and these concerns were very visible during the pandemic where people were dying because they did not have access to healthcare and because i'm in sri lanka i can also tell you sri lanka was gen- is generally known as the better off country because we provide a lot of healthcare we give a lot of free access to healthcare and as a result we sort of rank a little better than the other south asian countries so in terms of the entire region i think the region would be affected by various healthcare you know lack of healthcare facilities and and what what would you say if you if you look at the the role that the extra regional states have played in off- offering health aid and economic assistance during the pandemic and that also that other organizations have played including you know different different uh, health or international health organizations and then regional organizations have played Mhm. Yeah, so in terms of extra regional powers, I think America and even China have come on board and been very helpful extending a lot of aid towards um our countries. They've provided a lot of medical assistance in terms of um masks, gloves, um the whole works on medical facilities. But we also see India as um the regional power in south asia also being very actively involved so we can say alongside countries like the united states and china india is also playing a very large role so it's not just the extra regional powers carlos but we also see um india which is very interesting for south asia because south asian i guess um politics revolve around this power dynamics between india and uh, regional entities with regard to international organizations i guess the world health organization has been the most active in terms of providing assistance um less in terms of say as regional organization the south asian association for regional cooperation or sarc um sarc has been very inactive and in terms of a, in terms of activities as a regional organization it's um it's as good as dead so um when we are talking of organizations i guess we have to talk of both the active and the inactive organizations so um yes in terms of assistance to south asia we see a lot of medical assistance provided by um extra regional powers as opposed to international organizations or regional organizations oh so that's interesting uh your comment on the, the sarc because it seems that that organization in particular would be perhaps best positioned to provide assistance given you know its its uh, position in the region and its members and its the makeup of, of its membership uh, what 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 do you see what accounts for its lack of effectiveness and what do you think its role will be uh, moving forward absolutely um no organization would know its region better than an organization constituted by its regional countries unfortunate for south asia we have this conflict this misunderstanding between india and pakistan and the misunderstandings have sort of um blown out and also affected countries like sri lanka uh, nepal bhutan the other regional countries 
as a result, we see an organization SARC, which ought to have been a very good, you know, functioning organization, really not coming off the ground. It, it was established in 1985, but to date, it's been a very, you know, inactive organization, hardly really done much, and it doesn't really have much to its name. So one of the biggest reasons we see is this um, power dynamic or the misunderstanding between India and Pakistan, um, resulting in nothing really happening, concrete happening in um, the South Asian organization. We also see the sort of hegemonic tendencies by India affecting the regional understanding within SARC because we see India trying to dominate the discussions within SARC and it's understandable. None of the other smaller nations like this because they do want to be heard. And the only other country that can sort of counterbalance India's rhetoric is Pakistan. And then you have, you go back into that cycle where those two countries don't understand or see eye to eye. So in, in this context, we see South Asian countries, the smaller South Asian countries are probably not on the best footing when it comes to sort of uh, bringing their ideas across into the South Asian organization or SARC, resulting in it not really being effective and uh, being sort of a redundant entity where nothing really gets done. And Carlos, you did mention it would be the best platform for uh, you know, best plat platform to provide assistance to South Asian countries because it would generally know um, the affairs of the region. It would also know exactly what our countries require. But in this sense, I guess this is where we see India stepping in and sort of playing the role that SARC should have been playing. Um, but we also see that because of the lack of SARC, we don't have all the countries benefiting equally from, um, say, assistance through um, or medical assistance or, you know, um, health assistance, as you would see with perhaps Southeast Asian countries where ASEAN does play a very dominant role in this sense. Or even EU, we see a very active role by the European Union. Yeah. And so maybe that leads to kind of the next kind of my next uh, set of questions. Countries like Sri Lanka then looking to relationships with, on its own, with countries like uh, China and the United States and, um, you know, looking for assistance or the relationships there. Um, it, there's this concept in, in your paper you wrote for NBR, you, uh, maybe you could, you could talk about this a little bit. You, you mentioned this, this concept of permanent friends versus permanent interests. I'm wondering if you could talk about that a little bit. You could say that the lack of a lack of regional assistance could be the basis or it could be the reason why um, Sri Lanka and perhaps even other countries are going outward looking for assistance elsewhere. Mm -hmm. um, it also means we are trying to counterbalance the affairs in the region. Like I said, India plays a very, very strong um, role in South Asian politics. As a result, we also want to see, and this has been Sri Lanka's foreign policy right throughout, not just during the pandemic, uh, where we are trying to look for other powers outside the region that can help sort of stabilize Sri Lanka's relations and for Sri Lanka to sort of feel less threatened by India's dominance in the region. 
And one of the things we understood is, again, this concept of the permanent friends, um, sorry, permanent um, interests over permanent friends comes because, again, Sri Lanka's proximity, close proximity to India and the fact that we are constantly trying to have this debate with India saying, look, despite what we do, we are not going to threaten your interests. So it's based on permanent interests. We will maintain relations with India and all other external countries based on our interests. We would defer or we would try to go away, step away from having permanent friendships because sometimes those kind of friendships don't really end up being the best towards a country's national interests. Therefore, I think as a state, Sri Lanka, and especially a small state, um, in close proximity to a big state like India, has to really focus on its um, national interests and see how and which countries would assist it in achieving those interests. And especially during the pandemic, now one of our major interests is economic stability. So we, who will come and assist us? Who? What are the countries um, externally that would come and assist Sri Lanka into, in terms of um, ensuring there is economic stability? So these are the kind of concerns, Carlos, that we are looking at in terms of this concept that I've mentioned in the paper about permanent interests and permanent friends. So we are looking at uh, ties or connections that would help our countries, or, you know, in this, trend, in this sense, I'm actually focusing on Sri Lanka, where we are looking at achieving our national interests over trying to keep permanent friendships. You know, and you've got this, uh, your, this expertise in, um, in, Sri Lanka and uh, and China relationship and and of course China is a been a uh, a key uh, partner through the pandemic they've given assistance to Sri Lanka as has the United States and how do you see how has that relationship evolved and that's something that I, I know a lot of uh, uh, the United States in particular a lot of countries in the world around the world have looked at in recent years as you know China has sought to build its influence and uh, investment in the region and it has uh, mm-hmm. how has that changed in, in in over the course of the pandemic what is the what is your current take on that uh, that relationship that's a very um loaded question yes yeah. uh, because there is <laughs> a lot to talk about when you yeah. talk of uh, sri lanka's relations with china and also the us factor yeah. um so just to see if i can make a long story short it would be something like china has come to or china sri lanka's engaging with china again based on interests uh, we are looking, we have we have formed, if you trace the bilateral relations, we formed relations between the two states based on economic interests. And right throughout, if you trace again the relationship, we have maintained our economic connectivity and other factors, political, cultural, whatever you want, you name it, has come only thereafter. But Sri Lanka's relations with China are primarily founded on economic principles, economic relations or interests, whatever you want to call it. And these have predominantly also occurred wherein we have not, or we in the sense Sri Lanka has not been able to seek assistance from its traditional partners. And when I say traditional partners, it would be India, the United States, Britain. Um, So when we see Sri Lanka has gone to these countries, 
India, US, but we have not been able to secure assistance or commitments towards Sri Lanka's development or, you know, whatever it is, we have sort of gone or relied on China to be the final aid, the final friend that would sort of help us achieve these development goals or assist us in terms of economic development. So fast forward to now, it's that same power play taking place. We have very good interests or we have very good connections with the United States. However, we see maybe for the US, Sri Lanka is not necessarily a major interest in terms of the United States national interests. Therefore, um, we don't, we are not a priority. As a result, we are sort of seconded in terms of, you know, the issues that come up for the United States at a global level. Which means Sri Lanka has to seek assistance from other countries where required because we also have to function in the global system, in the international system. Um, and when it, China or say India, whoever, they assist, it's like the United States realizes they also need to do something mm -hmm. towards Sri Lanka because the US has consistently said the island, Sri Lankan island is a very important strategic location for their interests in um, South Asia, in the Indian Ocean region, and now towards the Indo-Pacific. So in this context, when, the, you know, and also when you take in the power rivalry between the United States and China, and the US sees China um, sort of helping Sri Lanka, they realize, okay, wait, I can't let um, China only assist Sri Lanka. That doesn't look net good on us. So it's like the US also steps in and assists Sri Lanka. But don't get me wrong, it doesn't mean that US is not helping. They have, y'all have been. The US does consistently help, but probably not at the same level as China does, and also not for the same reasons or not on the same categories of assistance, um, types of assistance. And even in um, the pandemic, like during the pandemic, especially last year, we see China came in with medical assistance and the U.S. has also done the same. They have provided a lot of medical assistance in terms of um, medical testing equipment, ventilators, etc. But we also see China going over and beyond the usual commitments. Now, for example, when Yang Jiechi came to Sri Lanka, we saw he made a commitment. He said, um, China will assist Sri Lanka improve um, its tourism industry. So this was a commitment that is um, tangible, that is extremely important for a country like Sri Lanka that is um, that relies on tourism as part of its um, for its economy. So yes, we appreciate the aid. We appreciate all the uh, you know assistance that Sri Lanka gets, but when it comes to real tangible commitments, China seems to have an upper hand, um, even though um, other countries are helping us and beyond China and the US. Now, I know that uh, toward the end of the Trump 
Trump uh, administration in October of last year, uh, Secretary Pompeo made a visit to Sri Lanka. Mm-hmm. What have you seen in terms of the early early stages of the Biden administration in terms of the, the U.S. Um, commitment to not only Sri Lanka but to to the region generally? And what is your um, what has been your your observations on um, mm-hmm. the diplomatic efforts in the region? Yeah, so you mentioned a very important um, point, Carlos. You you spoke about um, Secretary Pompeo's, former Secretary Pompeo's visit. Now, even if you look at that visit, you would recall that it happened um, a couple of weeks after the Chinese minister's visit. So, you know, even for us in the region or even in Sri Lanka, it looks you know, we we have we tend to look at it through colored glasses because we tend to think, okay, why is it that the U.S. decided to visit only after the Chinese? Um, if the you if the you know Americans were really really interested in helping or assisting the region, shouldn't they have done this before? <laughs> if you know the entire the entire virus was uncontained and these sort of visits could be uh, undertaken, why is it only after? Was it something they did not think about? So these are the kind of questions that come to our mind in our region when we see um, the power play, because we are also talking about the regional power play in this South Asian Indian Ocean region and the sort of competition between bigger powers. Um, Moving forward, I think coming into the Biden uh, Biden administration, we see um, perhaps a very different tone been taken by the new administration, uh, probably a 360 turn. I mean, I don't need to say how um, y'all see um, how the Biden administration is engaging more with the international community. It's got a more stable sort of policy. Um, And with regard to Sri Lanka, I think one of the things it's come out with, one of the things that we feel is the fact that the administration is very um, adamant on these human rights issues. It's been very vocal about it. And these are some of the things that, you know, since we are still in March. So the past two months, we've seen even our, in the U.S. ambassador in Sri Lanka has been very critical about some of the issues within the country and even now like just today we had the UNHRC vote taking place so in these kind of situations we see uh, a different approach by um, the United States and it's probably this kind of stance the Biden administration is taking but overall in terms of South Asia I think I could add that there seems to be a very um, stable policy because America's interests in South Asia have relied around its relationship with uh, India. And for the larger part, from what I can see, um, US and India are doing very well. So um, I think the Biden administration would continue um, that tone in the relationship with India and maintain those relations because even when um, just backtracking a bit, when uh, Secretary Pompeo came to Sri Lanka, one of the things he actually said was China is a predator state, um, nation and that countries like Sri Lanka should opt to work with the United States. Now, these are kind of sentiments that um, previous secretaries or any visiting leader would 
not necessarily utter in those very vocal, very um, blunt manner. But this was an instance where it showed the kind of angst that is there between the U.S. and China, perhaps in the Trump administration. But we also see um, that the Biden administration seems to be a little softer, but also still we see that kind of animosity between the two countries still um, quite apparent. So I guess it's too it's too early to say much, Carlos. So I guess um, we'll have to wait a few more months to see exactly what would turn out. But I, I think I can for sure say um, South Asian or America's um, interests in South Asia rely not so much on Sri Lanka um, or any of the other smaller countries like Maldives or Bangladesh or Bhutan but predominantly on its relationship with India and depending on what India says or feels uh, about what is happening in and around the region, I guess that is where um, the U.S. is going to take um, advice or seek advice. Really fascinating to get your 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 take and your views on uh, on on the current state of, uh, of affairs there. I would be you could tell us a little bit about the 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 current um, health situation in Sri Lanka where you are. What's what's happening on the ground where you are? So in Sri Lanka, we are still kind of um, grappling with the second wave, so to say, of the pandemic. Um, we don't have that many cases that are reported, but it could also be because we have limited testing. We have cut down on the number of testing that we are doing in the country. Um, secondly, it could also be because we have started vaccinating. And now Sri Lanka, speaking of vaccination, Sri Lanka is a country in South Asia that has a very good record of vaccinating. Um, we've done tremendous efforts. We've, uh, we have a very good track record in terms of uh, vaccination um, throughout our history. And even now we have close to 1.5 million vaccinations, COVID-19 vaccinations in the country. A lot of people have been vaccinated and we have initially focused on those um, elderly people and the vulnerable. So the age group over 60. Um, just today I was told our area is also going to be vaccinated I guess day after tomorrow. So we see the government is taking um, very targeted efforts to address and also ensure the vaccines are going to the vulnerable communities. But we also see these vaccines have been given to the frontline workers, the health officials, the police, the armed forces, those who are actively involved in um, addressing or co containing the virus, the spread of the virus in our country. So I guess the, um, if we get more vaccines, we've had um, a lot of assistance, again, purchasing um, vaccines and also donations through the COVAX program of the WHO. And also India and um, China have come forward. And I'm told the Russians will also be assisting us in terms of um, donating vaccines. So once we have all these vaccines, I think once we finish vaccinating the vulnerable communities, I think we will attempt to vaccinate um, more or less more of the, most of the population so that we can really look at um, eliminating, hopefully, the um, threat of COVID-19 from our island. Well, that would be uh, certainly a uh a wonderful development. Um, mm -hmm. 
I think we've covered a lot of the questions I had hoped to, mm -hmm. to speak about today. Is there anything you wanted to add to our discussion? Yeah, I think one more thing. Because of this vaccination program, I think Sri Lanka has been able to open its borders. So for mm -hmm. the first time, we are being a little um, adventurous um, mm -hmm. in terms of uh, accepting people into the country. And oh. this is not just the repatriation programs, but we have started accepting tourists. And we have said, um, look, anyone who has received the COVID-19 vaccination, you can come into the country, um, be it Sri Lankans going in and returning, or in terms of foreigners coming in for tourism purposes. So if you can show your vaccination card and if you come come to the country and um, test negative for uh, a PCR test, then our borders are open. So I think this is a very interesting and very um, current development in Sri Lanka. Uh, because again, like I mentioned, we thrive on tourism. So the fact that we have opened up borders and permitting people into the country, I think would um, bode well with Sri Lanka and also our economy. Hopefully we can um, get back on our feet. And um, it, I, I guess that is good for us in one perspective. But I guess it also means there's hope for everyone else in the world. Yeah. Um, if all countries start vaccinating, which I guess it means we can all open our borders and um, maybe go back to life as we know. Thank you so much for making time to talk to us today. And uh, we do look forward to having you part of our, our series here, either in our podcast series or in our publication series. And um, we appreciate your making the time to be with us today. This podcast was produced by Ian Smith. Asia Insight theme music is by Laura Schwartz of Velvet on the Bayou. Website development was led by Sandra Moore. Asia Insight Podcasts can be found on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and Spotify. Thank you for listening to this episode of Asia Insight.